The Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The people were also bringing children, babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Hi, I'm Cam Maxwell. I'm on the staff team at Trinity Church in Colonel Light Gardens. And thanks for checking us out online today, especially if you haven't been to our church before in person. It's great you can join us and see some of the things we usually do as we meet together. Um, life has changed, obviously, a lot for all of us in recent days. It was only two Sundays ago that we were meeting together as a church as normal. And here I am today uh, talking to a camera in an empty room. I'm still getting used to sort of talking to you all through a camera. Uh, it was only uh, last week as we were recording that uh, as I was preaching, uh, the camera actually went to sleep. Now, I've, I've put people to sleep in sermons before, but that's certainly a new low for me. Uh, there's plenty of things to navigate together. Um, but life is drastically changing, and uh, it, it's hard even to keep up with the changes and hard to keep up with all the news. Scrolling through the news feeds, uh, it, just, it just feels overwhelming and, uh, and sad. One of the common feelings I think uh, most people are experiencing at the moment is that our confidence has been shaken. Uh, we can't confidently make any plans beyond the next few hours. Things are changing too quickly. We might have lost confidence in our communities and how well people are looking after each other as we sort of hear about people who are stockpiling toilet paper and food while others are, are missing out. We might simply have lost confidence about our long-term future. We just don't know what they will be like anymore. At the moment, I feel like most of us are living with uh, the confidence of a first-time driver on L-plates. You know, those, those drivers who take 10 seconds to change lanes and who are driving at 40 in 60 zones. Uh, by the way, big hello to all our youth watching online, those who are on the L-plates already or about to. Caution is good, don't get me wrong. Uh, but confidence is just so important to how we live, isn't it? And it's so jarring, therefore, to have our, uh, that feeling that our confidence is being shaken as, as the world changes so rapidly around us. Perhaps the obvious question then to be asking at the moment, uh, especially during times of uncertainty, where is God in all this? Uh, can we be confident that he is good? Can we be confident that God cares for us? Now, especially if you're watching online as, as someone who's thinking through who God is, perhaps for the first time or uh, the first time in a long time, again, great you could join us. Thanks for checking us out. Um, I hope you'll find the next few minutes with us helpful as we think a bit more about the passage Anita just read for us. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 18, and it'd be great for us all to, to grab Bibles or a device and uh, turn to Luke 18. And we're going to pick it up from verse 9. <clears throat> what Jesus is teaching here, it, it's about confidence and where we should place it. 
Because it turns out losing confidence isn't necessarily a bad thing if it was a false confidence all along, if our confidence was based on the wrong assumptions, assumptions about ourselves, about our world or about God. Now, Australians reading uh, the parable Jesus tells in Luke 18 about the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, for Australians we might read it and it sounds like, well, two guys go to the temple, one prays like an arrogant, self-centred jerk, uh, and the other one has humility. And so as Australians we think, well, of course, the one with humility is the hero. Australians like humility, so we like the tax collector in this story. But as we read the Bible, it's always good to remember that uh, Jesus isn't speaking directly to Australians in 2020. Jesus is speaking here first to people uh, in Israel 2,000 years ago. So it's always good to, good to help us uh, to understand the Bible more, to think, well, how did they, the first audience, how did they hear these words? See, in their world, what do they think when they hear the word Pharisee or tax collector? For Jesus' first audience, a Pharisee is, is a good guy. Uh, they were the community leaders, people who people would listen to what they had to say, they'd have uh, a lot of followers on Twitter, because they really cared about doing the right thing. Pharisees uh, were really the model of religious devotion in Israel. Now, for Australians, that might not be that impressive. We don't really uh, take too well to religious devotion being too serious. Uh, but 2,000 years ago in Israel, that was a big deal. So perhaps the closest thing in Australian culture to a Pharisee that I can kind of uh, think of that's sort of comparable perhaps is something like the founder or a CEO of a charity, a philanthropist, um, someone who cares deeply about doing the right things, they do the right things, they don't just talk about it, they do the right things, and other people uh, want to be more like them, um, they influence the culture around them uh, for good, the model citizen, as it were. I think most of us in Australia would say uh, the founders of a charity, uh, they're good people, they're rightly uh, respected in our community. That's what we're supposed to hear when we hear the word Pharisee, as Jesus tells this story, that's what his first audience heard. There's someone you assume would be in God's good books because they're doing life right. How about the tax collector? Every time I, hear, I read of a tax collector in the Bible, I automatically think of uh, the accountant, straight-laced, working for the Australian tax office. And, you know, probably a lovely guy or, or girl, but they probably don't have a very exciting life. That kind, of, that kind of image comes to mind. But, by the way, be hello to our accountants watching online. 2,000 years ago, Rome ruled most of the world, including Israel, and Rome usually got locals to collect tax for Rome. So the guy who would come and knock on your, your shop door or your farmhouse, uh, he'd come and demand crippling levels of tax with probably a couple bodyguards to convince you you really should pay up. Uh, that wasn't a Roman doing that, a foreigner. That was a local, the guy you went to school with, the guy who lives down the street. He's one of your own, collecting money for the enemy, money that you never see again, taxes that don't invest into your local community, they go to Rome. A tax collector then was, was a trader, they're a sellout. They're only looking out for, out for themselves. They're morally bankrupt. They're, they're preying on the vulnerable openly. They're greedy. Again, I was, I was trying to think of what that would be like in, in our culture, the equivalent for a tax collector if Jesus was telling this story today. Perhaps it's something like a meth dealer or, or a pimp. People who are profiting from the misery of others, preying on the vulnerable. They're people who would automatically assume are in God's bad books. So when you put the parable like that, the, the founder of a charity and a meth dealer, they go to church, and who does God approve of? It's a different kind of story, isn't it? And we start to hear how scandalous this story is. After all, did you notice why Jesus told it at all? In verse 9 in Luke chapter 18, we're told the reason Jesus tells this parable is to address those who are confident in their own righteousness, and they look down on others. 
Most of us, I assume, don't think uh, usually in terms of how righteous we are. It's not a sort of common uh, way of talking about ourselves in Australia. Perhaps the closest we get to it here is uh, thinking along the lines, look, I'm a good person, I do the right thing most of the time. Uh, That's kind of what righteousness is as we sort of think about it. In the Bible especially, this word righteousness takes into account as well how God thinks of us when he sees us. Does God see us as righteous? Does he see us as good? Or does he see us as unrighteous, someone bad? What Jesus is saying here, when you sort of piece that all together, it's pretty offensive really, isn't it? It might feel really offensive because he's saying that even the best people should have no confidence in their own righteousness. Even the founder of charities who do all the right things should have no confidence that God thinks that we are good people, that God sees us as righteous. It's a very shocking, very scandalous kind of thing for Jesus to be saying, especially in his culture. So what I want to do is have a look at a few of the details of this little parable and try and work out what's going on here. See, in this imaginary story, it's set in the temple, which is a very public place. The the Pharisee stands up by himself. Uh, He's not ashamed of who he is. He's quite happy for others to watch his life. He's, He's proud of himself. And in a sense, why shouldn't he be? He's an upstanding member of society. As he comes to God, he has nothing but confidence that God likes him, that God's on his side. Because not only does he keep God's law that God gave to Israel, he goes above and beyond keeping the law. He's doing the sorts of things that the Pharisees were famous for, so he says that he, he fasts twice a week. It's not to lose weight or for health reasons. It's, it's a way of showing how serious he is about doing the right thing. So the law that God gave to Israel, uh, he only asked Israel to fast once a year, one day a year, uh, on the Day of Atonement. It was a time of fasting and mourning and lamenting about the sins of the nation. But the Pharisee here, he goes without food and water, or at least food, twice a week, way above and beyond what's required. He says here as well, he gives a tenth of everything he gets. Now again, that's above and beyond uh, God's law. God in the law asks for uh, one-tenth of harvest and livestock, but this guy gives a tenth of everything he gets. Find out elsewhere that Pharisees give a tenth of even their herb garden. It's, It's going above and beyond. He's serious about living God's way, and it's so much so that it costs him. Surely God must be impressed by his dedication, we think. We realise very quickly, though, the problem is not what he does, the problem is his heart. Look how he prays. He starts by thanking God. Now, that's usually a good start, but his prayer is basically, thank you, God, but I'm amazing. That's kind of it. I thank you that I never steal, never cheat on my wife, never do anything bad, really. I'm nothing like that tax collector over there. What a, what a disgusting human being. Come to think of it, God, I think you're probably lucky to have me on your side. It's, it's good. Now, this is an imaginary story. It's a parable. Of course, I don't think anyone ever has prayed exactly like this. But... It does sort of pain me to say it, but as we think about it, I think I can see something of myself in this guy, and perhaps we all can. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, um, I've found it quite easy to look down on others, uh, those who are out stockpiling toilet paper for themselves and food, and and others are missing out. Now, the fact that I haven't been organised enough to think, even think ahead enough to to stockpile, is not the point. The fact is, I've seen this happening, and I think, well, they're doing the wrong thing, I'm doing the right thing. Who do these people think they are? What's wrong with them? We might feel self-righteous and we might feel like superior human beings for a while. We might go on uh, assuming that God gives us bonus points uh, for not panic buying. But when you think about it and you look at things from a different angle, all along, most of our lives are really all about stockpiling, aren't they? Storing up all sorts of things. 
nice house, nice furniture, healthy savings or investment accounts, stockpiling expensive experiences. They've got all kinds of things we, we cling to, we don't really need. All along, others are missing out. Now, my point is, of course, that my own sense of self-righteousness is, is easily undermined when you just look at things from a different angle. The tax collector, he does look at things from a different angle. He looks at things from God's perspective. And seeing his life, his heart, his unrighteousness through God's eyes, it's unbearable for him. So when the tax collector prays, he stands alone at a distance. He's too ashamed to mix with others. He can't look up to the heavens, which is what would normally happen in prayer. He's just pitiful. He's, he's weighed down by guilt. Now imagine seeing this. Imagine how embarrassing it would be to see this in public, a broken man just beating his chest, uh, eyes on the ground. His prayer is simple. He asks God for mercy because he is a sinner. Now for the people who first heard this story, they'll be thinking, well, yeah, no kidding, you, you are a sinner, you suck, but you know, thanks for making the rest of us look good. So when you get to verse 14 of, of this chapter, hopefully you can see something of the shock of this whole story. It's the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went home justified before God. The meth dealer, not the philanthropist, went home justified before God. One of them has done all the right things to excess. One of them is morally bankrupt, a leech on society. But God only sees the tax collector as, as justified. It's amazing. It's an important word, that, justified. Uh, in the way the Bible uses the word, it means for God to say, like a judge, you're innocent, you're good, you're righteous. To be justified before God is for God to say, you and I, we're okay. We're on good terms. You don't owe anything. I have no anger towards you. You have nothing to prove. Justified is, is an important word because it's the most important thing, actually, anything is, any, any of us could hope for. To be justified before God, to be on good terms with God, is the only hope we have for eternal life. If we could know for sure that we were justified before God, wouldn't that give our whole lives an, an unshakable confidence? Sure, we might, confidently, we might not confidently plan our next few weeks, but all of life can be lived with a deep confidence if we know we're justified before God. No matter what else is going on around us, knowing the most important relationship in the universe is going well. Doesn't that sound good? The mo mistake most people make if they don't read the Bible carefully is, is thinking, God will approve if I do the right thing. Uh, God will approve of me if I do the right thing. That's, that's what the Pharisee had assumed. He's based his confidence on the good things he has done to be righteous in God's eyes, to be justified. This story sort of flips that on its head. It's not what we do that makes us righteous in God's sight. It's not the good things we do that will make God the judge declare us justified or good. This parable teaches we should have no confidence in our righteousness. That's a, a false confidence, Jesus is saying, because it turns out God as judge doesn't judge us compared to the axe murderers and evil dictators of the world. God judges us by the standards he sets the standard to love him with our whole heart, our whole lives, to love our neighbour as ourselves. And no one, no one can actually live up to that standard. We'll come to that uh, more next week. Today the bad news is we can't rely on our own righteousness to be justified before God. Even when we look at it from God's angle, like the tax collector does, it, it becomes easier to see that. But here's the very good news. And this is what this parable is all about. 
we can have and we should have complete confidence, 100% assurance that we can be justified before God today to have his unqualified approval of us as we live. We can have the same assurance of being justified before God as a tax collector does as he went back to his house. The prayer of the tax collector in verse 13, it tells us everything we need to know. He is the model for us of finding peace with God. First, in his prayer, he realises and he owns up to his failures to treat God as God. He doesn't just say he has sinned. In the Greek, what this is translated from, he literally says, I am the sinner. As if to say, it doesn't even matter what other people are doing. I'm not comparing myself to them. Before God, he knows he is the sinner. He feels the full weight of his sin. He knows he hasn't loved God with his whole heart. He knows full well he hasn't loved his neighbour as himself, not even close. And he owns up to it. He has the humility to do that. The second thing he does is he realises he can't do anything. He can't do anything uh, except ask for mercy. He doesn't make a deal with God. He doesn't assume God owes him mercy. He just asks for it. Now, the word for mercy here, it's, it's not, just, uh, not just being kind or being compassionate. Uh, the word in the Bible uh, that the, the tax collector uses is, it has this idea built into it that, um, that the person might remove their anger, that they might take away their offence. Uh, as he asks for mercy, he's really asking, please erase my debt. Take away the obstacle getting in the way of our relationship so we can be on good terms again. The same word gets used elsewhere in the Bible to describe Israel's sacrifice for atonement. That's when a goat stood in for the nation of Israel and God showed his mercy to Israel by placing all his anger on the goat. The goat pays the penalty for sin, which is death. And and as it happens, it removes that obstacle, that barrier between Israel and God so they can be on good terms. As we keep reading through Luke's Gospel, we'll see that that Jesus' death on the cross is where Jesus substitutes himself in. He he takes on uh, the the debt of sin. On the cross, Jesus puts himself in the place, not just of Israel, but of everyone. He pays the price of sin. He takes on himself on the cross, God's right anger at our sin, at our unrighteousness. And he clears that obstacle between God and us. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus we see God's mercy to sinners, like this tax collector and like me. This prayer, God, I'm a sinner. I can't fix that, but you can. Please do. That prayer, it means that this man went home justified before God. This is the good news. The tax collector certainly had offended God. Make no mistake about that. But the good news of the Bible is that God is in the business of showing mercy. And so we can and we should put our confidence in his mercy entirely. The catch is, though, that takes humility. Uh, The humility of the tax collector is that he recognises who he is before God. We can't be proud of our own righteousness. We can't be proud and humble before God at the same time. To be humble, we need to know who we are as we stand before the eternal, almighty God. That's what verse 14 seems to be suggesting. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Uh, The idea is when we realise how silly our pride is as as we come before an eternal God, it's humbling. And everyone who humbles themselves, everyone who appreciates God's bigness and our smallness, well, they'll be exalted as God accepts them and approves of them. I think that's largely what the next little story about, uh, about the little children is about in, from verse 15. 
It's an encouragement to see ourselves as little, as insignificant even. See, in Jesus' day, children were loved and valued, but they're also very clearly the least important people in society. The whole point of being a child back then was to grow up and don't be a child anymore, and in the meantime, try not to waste too many people's time. Perhaps that's why the disciples try and stop people from coming and bringing their children for Jesus to bless. It's almost as if the disciples are saying they're not worth his time. Now, thankfully, our culture has moved a long way from this. And in fact, history seems to suggest that Jesus' attitude towards children is one of the big reasons that culture has moved on and seeing children as far more precious uh, than uh, what Jesus' contemporaries would have. Jesus used this moment, though, to drive home what it takes to be right with God or to be part of his kingdom is the language here, to live under God's good rule. It takes seeing ourselves as little children, which in Jesus' culture means what they would have heard is we need to see ourselves as unimportant, insignificant, to realise we don't bring anything to offer to God. It's, it's a humbling kind of call, realising our place in the universe. God is big. We are small. It's only that humility that will enable us to say to God, I'm the sinner. You can fix that. Please do. It's only with humility, like a child who is given something, like a, a present, it's only with humility that we can receive that, not, not pretending we can offer something back in, in response. It's only like a child we can receive God's mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't earn our way into the kingdom of God, seems to be the point. The good news is, we simply have to humble ourselves and accept God's kind offer of mercy. At the moment, there are all sorts of things we are rightly worried or concerned about, our lives, about our world. But I hope our time looking at uh, God's Word this morning has been helpful for all of us. Jesus shows us the incredible, humble confidence we can live with day to day, no matter what's happening around us. We might face exactly the same hardships as everyone else. We can go through all the same ups and downs, but we can do all that living based on a supreme confidence that we are justified before God knowing exactly who we are before God, knowing we have complete assurance of his mercy. That won't make everything easier, but it certainly puts every other trouble we face in its place. We face everything knowing God is for us, God is with us, God loves us. We have nothing to fear from him, nothing to prove to him. And so it's a humility that brings great freedom. It helps us put our confidence in the right place, Because at the moment, as so many people are finding out, confidence has been put in all sorts of places that are now crumbling or in in threat of being ruined. People are finding out all around us that their confidence has been in the wrong place all along. What this means then is that we have good news to share to a world that desperately needs to hear it. There is a God who longs to show mercy. He exalts the humble. He justifies those who humbly trust him. It's good news. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, reminding us of how good you are and how good it is to be humble before you, knowing our place in the universe you have made. And so we ask that you give us humility to help us realise how far short of your standards we have fallen. And together we pray that you would forgive us, that you would show mercy. We also thank you that you have made a way to assure us of your forgiveness You have shown us great mercy in sending your Son. We thank you that he has paid the penalty, removing the obstacle between us. So help us then live with a humble confidence, facing whatever lies before us, 
Please give us great joy knowing our greatest needs are already met in you. So please help us share this good news, finding new ways to connect with uh, people who might seek mercy and, and we pray that many would find it. We ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.